The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Sue Pignini, is an award-winning author on the subjects of near-death and the wisdom that comes from such experiences. Sue has had three near-death event events, the most recent in November of uh, 2019. As a seminar trainer, transformational life coach, and through her work with horses, her passion is to help veterans heal from their combat-related PTSD, depression, thoughts of suicide, and coping with any of the negative after-effects of NDEs. Sue experienced great loss when her father committed suicide after developing service-connected cancer, and again when her brother died of cancer due to Agent Orange exposure during the Vietnam War. Her healing strategy is based on helping veterans reconstruct their lives by refocusing their experiences on being gifts instead of obstructions. Her wisdom from the angelic realm has propelled her into seeing more of the big picture for humanity. Sue, welcome to NDE Radio. Lee, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Sue, did you have any uh, religious upbringing as a child? I'll tell you, not exactly. I did try uh, every single Protestant church that I could find uh, as I was growing up, but nothing seemed to resonate with me. Hmm. And then you had three NDEs, and the first one was getting struck by lightning in Arizona. Tell us, tell us all about that. Well, it was, um, I was mountain climbing with my husband at the time. We were climbing into some Indian caves, and we weren't there but about five minutes. We'd taken a motorcycle up to those hills, and we were there for about five minutes. And then, as in Arizona, it, it often happened, a major thunderstorm came through with lightning and torrential rain. So he ran out to go down and make sure that the motorcycle would get started again. And he said, take your time, but come down as soon as you can. And I tried to do that, but because we were on such a steep hill, uh, there were rabbits of rain and the rocks were, were moving and, and running down the hill. And right beside me on my right-hand side was a fence that connected the military reservation that we lived on and uh, the state of Arizona. So I put my hand on that fence in order to keep from tumbling down. And when I did, the next thing I knew is that I was face down in the mud and um, a voice was talking to me. And it was telling me that I couldn't leave. Now I had to go back to the children. Mm. And then it told me that I should move my legs back and forth, back and forth to keep the fire from reaching my heart. Um. I did that, and then I, I came to um, and realized that I was really freezing from the rain, and that's because the the heat from the lightning had melted my clothes. So I was there with clothes kind of hanging off my body. I was face down wow. in the mud, and um, that was my first experience with the non-physical. Did you see anything, or was it just a voice? It was just the voice at the time. I saw a light. A, a little bit of a light to the right-hand side. Um, and it was like a pulling light, meaning it, energetically it was trying to connect with my energy. And if, if I had 
not come about um, uh, from unconsciousness, I could have gone into that light, um, and I didn't. So um, that was the first experience. And in those days, this was in the 70s and 80s, you were not allowed to talk about such things. So uh, I never spoke to anyone about it. Wow. And I just kept saying, I'm sure other people have had this too. Well, not so much. Um, this time went on, I, I had more, I had different experiences. They were not uh, NDEs per se, but they were spiritually transformative experiences. And those are called STEs. And I spoke about this last year at the IONS conference where I gave a, a workshop and a, and a couple of talks. Yes. And uh, to try to help folks understand that they might as well have STEs too, and they just didn't realize what they were. But after the lightning accident, I had many more, I would say maybe eight or ten, um, spiritually transformative experiences so that I, was, I realized that my nervous and my energetic system from the lightning uh, was now more receptive to voices and experiences from the non mm. Could you give us a couple examples of your STEs? Sure. Um, I, I've written my second book. I'm on my third, but my second book is called Expect the Extraordinary, and that book highlights these events. The second event that is in the book that is significant uh, there were a lot of small ones, but the second one that's significant is when I uh, had divorced my first husband and I was engaged uh, several years later to a gentleman who we both worked in New York City and we were walking hand in hand up Madison Avenue. And there is a, a famous funeral home called Campbell Funeral Home, and I'm not sure, I think it's in the 60s mm-hmm. in Madison, uh, if anyone is familiar with New York. Um, and I, we were walking hand in hand. I was on the inside. He was on the outside. I wear glasses. I'm nearsighted. I didn't have them on. So I, my peripheral vision was not great. And all of a sudden, two men came up behind us and they said, walk over to the tent. One of them had a gun. I called him the short guy and the tall guy. The tall guy was the picture of the short guy showing him what to do because the short guy's hand was shaking that had the gun in it. And the tall guy said, give us all your jewelry and all your money. And he said, and I want that necklace that's on her uh, neck. And with that, he reached over and started to grab it. And Bob, my fiancé at the time, said, no, that's a gift. You can't have that. And tall guy just roared. He said, well, all right, buddy, I will send it to my mother and keep it for safekeeping. And he tore it off my off my neck. Mm. And then we gave him the money and we um, did whatever they told us until all of a sudden a voice came to me again. This voice was different from the first. The first sounded very ancient, very old. This one was much more hip. It was much more modernized. And it was, um, it sounded like a male. And it said, fall on your knees. Tell them that you're pregnant and you're going to throw up because you're nauseous. So I, I did exactly what the voice said. I fell to my knees and tall guy got all flustered and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm pregnant and I'm going to get sick. And he said, 
if you're lying or if you don't realize how serious I am using this gun, he took the gun from short guy, and he said, we will, I'm going to kill you. And I, said that, then, and I said to him, then that's what you have to do. And Bob looked over at me and he said, Sue, not now, because he knew I wasn't pregnant. Mm. They just said, well, and he, it happened to, this was a beautiful October night. Families were out. It was still warm. It was like 8 o'clock at night, and they were going to the ice cream parlor across the street. So there was a lot of activity on Madison. And the tall guy looked around his shoulder to see that all these people had stopped. And they were looking at him and the short guy and the two of us and me on the ground. So he said, we don't know, I don't know whether you're lying or not, but we're out of here. And the two of them turned around and sauntered, no running, no quick steps, sauntered over to um, one of the museums that was on Fifth Avenue. And they got as far as that museum on Fifth, and I may have been the Modern Museum of Art. And at that time, nobody had cell phones. I ran into a restaurant called 911. The police were there in a matter of minutes. They captured them. The key to all of this is the reason that the voice came was that these guys were murderers. And they had killed uh, two doormen on the west side uh, weeks before. So again, I was saved. Wow. And that, that's an SPE. That's a spiritually transformative experience because you're not near death, but you are now communicating with the non-physical, the other side. And you know, now that I've had several of these, you know that they are there to help you, no matter how difficult life may be or challenging, and right now it's pretty challenging for everybody. Mm. We have to have a belief that we're not alone. And so that's the reason why I do the work I do and work with the veterans and uh, do a lot of motivational speaking to try to encourage people to feel that they are not living their lives alone. Yes. Then you're, you had a, a second uh, near-death experience, didn't you? Yes, and that was not that long ago. That was four years ago. And uh, I was giving a radio interview, uh, just like we're talking now, uh, about Expect Extraordinary. And I'm in my office, and I'm looking out the front pastures where the horses are, and coming across the front pastures, this huge white light. I mean, it's a huge ball of white light. And I'm still talking to the interviewer, and I'm looking at the white light, and I'm going, what is that? Mm. And the next thing I know, it's in my forehead. Mm. And I am losing my balance, and so I have to tell the, the host that I have to hang up. And I'm sorry, I think I have a bit of a bug, a flu bug. And I hung up, and then I fell to the ground. We, because we have five horses, um, we have help on the farm. And I picked up my phone, which was next to my hand, and I speed dialed my husband, and I said to him, something has happened. He was not at home at the time. I said, I don't know what it is. It turned out to be that I had a brain aneurysm, uh, kind of hidden. So they rushed me to the hospital. Those folks couldn't find it, nor could they help. They got me stable. Mm -hmm. And then they sent me to a specialist, a hospital that had a specialist in it that dealt with, had been in the military, the Navy, and had dealt with all kinds of traumatic brain injuries, TBIs. So as they were trying to find it, 
um, I had to wait, and I kept going in and out of consciousness. So this is now day eight, and they still haven't found it. Uh, I'm in ICU. And he said, I think I know where it is. And I've never done this before. Would you give me a chance to find it? And I said, I don't have a choice. Mm. So you have to do the best you can. And we'll deal with whatever there is. So as I'm lying on the table again, um, now this is visual. So as I'm lying on the table, a voice comes to me, a very soft but firm voice. And I thought that it was the nurses and doctors. And the voice says to me, we have you. And as I look around, there are 12 small angels all around the foot of the table, on the side and the foot. And then at my head over my right shoulder is a very tall, angelic being. Everyone is dressed in white. And the tall, angelic being has a smile on, on his face. It is, it is a male smile on his face, his arm, his hand, his right hand is on my shoulder. We see you. And with that, they found the bleeding spot. They put some coils in, and I came out of it, and here I am today, four years later. Wow. Believably well. So there were a dozen small angels around you and one tall one, and he was the one that communicated with you. Yes. And then you had a similar experience last year, didn't you? Right. You were having facial surgery? Yes, I had uh, I had some cancer on my nose that I thought was a nothing thing, and then when I went in to get it checked, it turned out to be a something thing. Mm. And they had to do a couple of different surgeries to take care of the cancer and then um, repair the, the tissue. So I was working with a plastic surgeon. And when I went in for the second surgery, which was just in twilight, it was just twilight, it was not general anesthesia, um, before I came out of it, my body was so hard I thought it was coming off the table. I looked down, and there were all of these, in the background were all of these people in white. Now, all of the nurses in the, the OR and the recovery at this hospital were all in blue. Nobody was in white. Mm, so they weren't nurses? No, they were not nurses. Yeah. No, they were not nurses. So there was a woman at the end of the table, also dressed in white. Everybody glowed. When I finally came out of this, I realized that they were all glowing. And um, she had her hands on my legs. And that stopped the shaking. The shaking was so severe that I, 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 I thought I was going to crack my teeth. Mm. Well, it turned out that I wasn't shaking. And when I came out of this, I pushed myself to get out of the anesthesia recovery uh, I said to the nurse there, I said, why am I shaking? What's going on? What's going on? What's the problem? She said, you're not shaking. You came out of surgery. Your recovery has been quiet. There's nothing that's happened. I said, you need to check with the anesthesiologist. Something happened. She said, he came down to recovery. She said, Sue, it was an in and out. It was 15, 20 minutes. It was nothing. You never shook. You never came out of anesthesia. Everything was fine. So afterwards, I thought, you know, I mean, it's enough of these things, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> afterwards, I realized that we can, as human beings, depart this world for the non-physical 
when, anytime we want to. You don't have to have a life-threatening illness or a disease or, or an accident or something to change you. You can make a decision. I've had enough. Now, I don't think I made that decision. I'm right in the middle of doing some pretty phenomenal things, but somehow my system is such that it connects to the other side easily. And I just lost a friend who did that. She connects to the other side on a very regular basis. She's a highly spiritual person. But this time when she connected, she didn't come back. Mm. So what do I do with all of this? How do I help your listeners? What can I do for them? Well, it's paramount. It's really paramount that we understand that the universe is based on love. And every one of these entities who still come to me in my dreams at night, but who have come to me, are there to help me understand how important love is and how much they love all of us. And it's our job, it's my job, it's your job, to pass on what we do best. So I have a program that I, that I call Light Your Life on Fire, and I've used it for the military and government and workshops, and it's all about maximizing your passion in life so that people can maximize who they are so they can feel 100% empowered. And every time someone does that, that energy that they produce is now passed on to those around them. And that's how we can learn to spread the concept of unconditional love because now we love ourselves because we're doing what is so important to us. And that is being all we can be. Mm. And every time we do that, we open the doors for other to. Now, your, uh, your father and your brother were in the military. And both of them really, uh, I mean, it's in a way you could say the military killed them. <laughs> you know, I hate to put it that way, but uh, Agent Orange was such a terrible, terrible thing. I, I had several friends that died from from Agent Orange poisoning. Um, so you, you have given um, a lot of time to working with vets, and I, I assume that you've been motivated in part by, by your experience uh, with your dad and, and with your brother. Um, how have, how's it been working with vets, especially vets who've had NDEs? Are they traumatized by them, or are they um, motivated to... Uh, to how, well, let me put it this way: How do you how do you make them see that it's a gift rather than an obstruction? Well, we at this point the the veterans that we have had out here at the ranch um, have not talked about NDEs. Okay, what they're most interested in is refocusing their lives, and that's what the horses help them do. Um, but last year, a year ago, uh, this coming September, when I was on a panel at IONS, at the IONS conference in Philadelphia, uh, my husband was there, and he's a veteran, a, a decorated combat veteran, and he spoke uh, to that group. Um, there were lots of veterans there, and they were all interested in the, in, in the NDE concept. They did not want to talk about it in public. So you didn't see a lot of hands go up. But afterwards, they wanted to talk about it. They wanted to understand what it was. 
Um, I had several of them in the workshops that I did, uh, and they are there to learn uh, and make sure that they are not weird and that it's okay for them to have had these experiences. And the most important thing we can do for our veterans, if they have had a near-death experience, is to let them know that it's a gift. It's an absolute positive gift. Mm. And even in my circumstances, I mean, you know, even though mine were life-threatening, this was a gift. It, It has propelled me into not wasting time in my life doing things that are unimportant. I don't need to worry about what someone else thinks of me. These veterans don't need to worry about their, what the other veterans or their family or their friends think about them. It's most important that they be themselves for themselves. So what we do here at the ranch, and this, this is a new 501c3, even though we have done it under the auspices of just loving our veterans before, previously, now we're turning it into a, an actual corporation, a nonprofit, so that we can help more veterans and have them here more frequently. And uh, that's really what we're, what we're working on right now. We just had a, a huge meeting yesterday, and um, we have a wonderful board of directors, and they are all just thrilled. Now, I am presently married to a veteran. I have two brothers, one who has passed. My other brother is still with us, and he's a veteran. Uh, military colonel retired. Uh, my father was a, was an army colonel retired. Um, my husband had, had military family members. So we are deeply entrenched in understanding what these people have given in order to keep us safe. I've also had a chance of um, of living in other countries, and some of them were quasi in the days that I lived in them, third world. And when you live in that environment, you realize firsthand how enormously wonderful the United States of America is and how it it needs to be protected. And so I I come back, even though I grew up in the military, you you don't think about, oh, my father's saving the country or my brothers are saving the country or all of these military folks are saving the country. You don't think in terms of that until you get back and you realize how fortunate you are and how much they've given. And they keep giving their entire lives mm. because of PTSD. So tell, tell us about uh, your work with horses and um, how you use them to, uh, to, to help uh, people that need uh, to, to um, overcome their problems. Well, um, I have given... Uh, many uh, on-site workshops for women and have had them had the ability to connect with the, with the horses. So when we started making a transition, that's a separate business that I run. When we started making a transition into veterans, I did a lot of research from the Department of Defense and from many people who have veteran-oriented equine programs. And w- the things that, that we have learned from these animals is quite extraordinary. And they, um, they want to connect with human beings. They want to connect with people. They love people. And they want to be uh, connected with us. And they want to understand who we are and what we're asking of them. 
Now, next to the elephant, a horse is the most intelligent animal on the planet. And their job, they feel that their job is to be here for us. It doesn't mean that they're going to plow the fields or uh, take us into action if they're a military uh, equine. What they're here for is they are here to help us overcome any difficulties in our life. And the reason that they can do that is because their intuition is five times ours. And that saves them in the wild. And that's because their hearts are five times the size of ours. And that's where their intuition lives. So they're going to know you before you come into the barn. So one of the things that we have found is that when they uh, are, if they think that a, a human who's going to come in and connect with them is either on drugs or drinks alcohol, and both of which are recent, like the night before the veteran gets here, then the horse really doesn't want to have anything to do with them. Mm. Because they're hiding, the individual is hiding their personality from the horse. The horse wants truth. That's who they are. They are, they are all about truth. They want us to be able to communicate with them. So the last few years, because it's not something I do easily, I have worked with our horses in understanding their communication signs. And those are some of the things that we can will be teaching our veterans. So that they can understand that the horse is trying to communicate with you. And it can be simple things like, scratch me here, or you come into my stall and I'm trying to have my dinner, please get out. Uh, little things like that, that they will try to communicate with us. But when we are looking to help the veterans, what we are trying to do is to get them to connect with them on a soul-to-soul level so that they can feel that this animal's love, uh, connection, guidance is there for them. We have had instances with our horses, all of them, where uh, a person is in the round pin with them, making what we call, they're going to be hooking on, that's a term that you use, and we want the, the individual to hook on to the horse. So after that takes place, the individual sits either on a barrel or in a chair, and the horse comes up to them and wants to get to know them. And they do that through sniffing. Smell is a huge part of, of who they are. They can smell fear, they can smell acceptance, they can smell um, if we're too tired, because we put out a certain level of scent in our perspiration. Uh, even though we may not think we're perspiring, we do. Mm-hmm. And the they can heighten our energy, and they know if disease is in someone, if someone has a physical issue, because it has a very low frequency. So whatever the part of the body that has the low frequency is where the, the horse is going to put their uh, their direction. So they'll take their nose. So I've had horses come to someone who had cardiac problems and put their nose right on the person's heart. Wow. I had a horse. We had a horse not too long ago. And one of the, the individuals, um, and she didn't know it at the time, and nor, nor had other folks known it but she had osteoporosis in her right lower arm. And one of our horses, Red, and that's who she chose to work with her, 
came up to her, and he just stayed there and put his muzzle on her arm. So that I said to her, Vivian, have you had an osteoporosis test done? And she said, I'm getting one done next week. So I said, really? <laughs> I said, yeah, I haven't had one done yet. So he, I said, please call me back and let me know if you happen to have osteoporosis in your right arm. And she said, call me back two weeks later and said, Sue, you can tell Reddy was right. Wow. So there's more to the term horse doctor than, uh, than meets the eye. Yes. <laughs> so we're just about out of time for today. But before we go, tell the listeners how they can find your website and your books. Wonderful. The book is uh, on Amazon and it's on sale. Uh, it's uh, sixteen ninety five because the pictures inside are in color, but it is on sale on Amazon at uh, for ten dollars. And my website is Sue S U E Pagini P I G H I N I dot com. Very good. And can they buy the expect the extraordinary on the website too? Absolutely, and I and I autograph them all when they come from my office. If they buy them on the website, same price, no shipping. Very good. And uh, will there be a website for your uh, for your five hundred one c three? Probably isn't established yet. No, it's not established yet. Um, we are, believe it or not, already receiving um, requests for donations, which is like amazing. Oh. And we're not even up and running. We we have the five hundred one c three registration in place as of today, and it's being looked at by the IRS. But we don't have a website up yet. We're working on that. We're putting the pages to the website up now. Very good. Well, thank you so much for being on NDE Radio, Sue. Um, I'm sorry. I know the phone connection wasn't perfect, but uh, you are way out in rural Virginia, and uh, that, that explains it. But to listen to this show again, or any of our 360 past shows, go to our free app or go to NDE Radio and hit the past shows button. And for more about IANDS, go to IANDS.org. And tune in again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>